Alrighty, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening whenever you're listening to this. We are back for another episode on the Lemon Soul Podcast. Today, I'm sitting down with Tony Smith, and you may know him as the owner of Garage Gym right here smack dab in Amherstburg. But what you may not know is that Tony actually spent 19 years of his life as a Windsor police officer, and a decade of that time was spent as a SWAT team leader. Let's be real, Tony is just a badass dude with a big heart, and I am so lucky to share his story today. So let's jump right in. Please listen carefully. We're a mobile unit today. I'm here with Tony Smith, and thank you for coming on. Or me coming to you, I suppose. Um, But I want to start because I didn't know what this meant until I kind of did a little research. Tango One is your Instagram handle, but it means something a little more than that. Can you give me like a little breakdown? Yes, of course. So Tango One. First of all, thanks for having me or coming to me (laughs) and putting me on the show. But uh, Tango One was, uh, it's a a call sign for the police service and it designates the leader of the tactical team. So Tango One was my call sign for many years with the Windsor Police. And the cool thing about that, with it being the leader of that, that unit, uh, it's voted on by your peers. So it's actually not like a rank. It holds no rank. Okay. It's, it's a designation and it's picked by the team. So no supervisors. It's actually the guys saying that you're the guy that we choose to make the decisions on our behalf and to take in what we have to to input into this plan and make sure that we go in one direction. Damn, that's almost like more special than having like a rank <laughs> because that's all your your peers saying like you're the best dude. Uh, I guess we, we yeah. trust you the most. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and yeah, not having a rank and uh, being able to lead without rank is uh, something kind of special, I think, and something that it just builds more trust. Yeah, you know, and you were always, the youngest. At that time, I was the youngest guy to ever get on uh, as the team leader. I think I was the youngest guy to ever get on that team. I don't know if I still hold those uh, designations, but yes. Do you remember um, like feeling like what that felt like? Did you like even acknowledge that when you were on the team, knowing that you were the youngest? Like, do you remember being like, "Whoa"? When like I got pressure? Onto, actually got onto the team <laughs> as the youngest, it yeah, it didn't feel like that. It felt like a great accomplishment, but mm-hmm. the youngest thing didn't really matter because I was going to be the lowest in seniority, and you got treated like a like a rookie should, in my opinion. <laughs> They probably don't do that anymore either. But and then, uh, but when we I became the team leader, like yeah, the the young thing kind of really started to play a part because it was like, oh my god, I have no kids. I'm you know I think I was 28 years old. Okay. And some of these guys have been on this team for six, seven, eight years, and they're you know they're 40 year old men with grizzled veterans of the police service with kids with wives, and I had none of that, so it was kind of like. And you were giving them orders. I, is it orders? orders like yeah it like it wouldn't be orders like but it's like yeah I, i'm at the end of the day most of those plans are going to be on my call so we would all have input but at the end of the day it would be on me to yeah make sure to make sure like those final yeah to, to do the organization to make thing every was going in one direction to execute yeah so tell me a little bit about your 19 years on the police force i want to talk about it, it briefly and not in too many gruesome details um <laughs> but just your experience and not only the physical aspects and I, you know, there's naturally going to be crazy stories, but I want to kind of more take it toward like the mental route and what it is like to actually be a police officer in a field, especially doing SWAT is, is like you were saying earlier when we were off the air, um, is different than being just, um, street, street cop, patrol, patrol. Patrol. That's the one. (laughs) Patrol. Yeah. So I did spend five years in patrol. Okay. Uh, at the start. So I actually, I spent four years in patrol. 
then uh, 10 years on the team okay. and then another four years on patrol. So it kind of sandwiched my, you have to have four years in patrol before you can apply to the tactical queen. Gotcha. So uh, that's where I started. And that, I mean, that's an eye opener right? when you start as a, as anybody, I guess, especially, you know, growing up mostly in LaSalle, pretty sheltered. And yep. at that time, LaSalle <laughs> was a tiny, tiny community. Yeah. And then going at 21 years old and jumping into the police service and, you know, going to some of the worst neighborhoods Windsor has to offer, seeing people who lived in a, in a manner that I had never really you know been witness to mm -hmm. and you you know I, I played football with a lot of guys who didn't grow up with a ton of money or and no money and for that matter but i didn't go into their homes that often and when i did i went as a welcome guest when you're right. a police officer you quickly learn that very rarely are you a welcomed guest yeah you're kind of getting people at their worst yeah and even when the good people are calling you to come and help you're going there in their worst days yeah. for the most part and how do how was handling that mentally it was tough. I mean, when you're young, you just kind of blow everything off and keep moving forward and have fun and, you know, go to the next adrenaline charge call. And But then as you start to be there a long time, you start to see and you see the people and I see my friends still, you see they start to become a little, their, their skin color changes a bit. They, they become uh, more disconnected. Uh, you kind of feel like the only people that understand what you do are the guys and gals that you work with. Mm -hmm which really kind of leads to more problems in its own because you're never getting out of that environment. You're just, you're hanging out with cops. And, and you know, another thing too, when you're a new guy in patrol, like my friends, they had jobs, but they worked a nine to five with the weekends off. And I was working all over the place, mm -hmm. very rarely a weekend off. And when I'd be half time off, it was like a Tuesday afternoon. And, you know, so who's going to be around just the other cops and not anything wrong with that. It's just, you're so, never getting out of that mindset, right? Exactly. right? Like you're always experiencing that same, that yeah. like level of being on. Right. You can't ever turn off. Yeah. And when you <laughs> hang out with people from work, you talk about work, right? Yeah. And that's just yep. kind of how it became. Mm -hmm. And that can be, um, I imagine, heavy. Was it heavy always or did you, because I know recently you opened up about your PTSD. Did you realize that early on and was it something that was discussed openly within the police force or is that, I because I have no idea. Or is that something that's more like hush hush that you keep to yourself? Now it's kind of like become a trigger word and it's, it's okay. which has built its own little kind of goods and bads, I guess, in the police service. And I'm not that far removed. So I feel like I can still, and I still have so many friends and gym members that go. So I feel like I can still speak to it a little bit. But the, uh, back then there was, there was no talk. I didn't know that PTSD was a thing. Right right when you're dealing with some of these things and yeah you'd feel messed up and you'd talk about it with some of the other cops and you know that was crazy what we saw but I, i've said this before and i i feel like for police officers it's more like for the military guys they're going in one year two years and it's not to downplay what they do is insane but and they're getting barraged like a storm yeah. like a blizzard with these events whereas a police officer you're going it's like a slow snowstorm you know it's just every day building up building up building up and then one day you're like man what's what's going on yeah right. and then everything kind of hits you all at once yeah but it's all just like that slow build slow build that slow and build then and then you're like, you're like you're the fuck. <laughs> yeah right? like the snow just yeah. builds up builds up yeah do you guys see in. like therapists like is that an active thing that they would like push almost push you guys to do or not at all in my time no and then it started to become a thing in the last like probably like four to five years that i was there okay where they would bring people in and uh they have peer counselors who had always been there. There's some great people that do that. And they started bringing in psychologists like after real bad calls, mm -hmm. but kind of like here and there. And now I believe it's like a it's mandatory. A that's like really, I mean, 
there's there's police officers, there's paramedics, there's firemen killing themselves weekly. And oh I think obviously the police departments and everywhere else has mm-hmm. noticed that we need to start implementing these services. And just like for any uh, is civilian, the appropriate word to use, I'm going to try yes, and yeah. sound smart. That's actually the perfect <laughs> word. Um, <laughs> but in like civilian life, even mental health just on day to day with civilians is stigmatized. It's uh, It has grown in the last several years, but I can imagine in a heavy pressure situation as a cop, you're supposed to be the protector of everyone else. Is it stigmatized in that that way? Yes, I think from within. Okay. I think a lot, okay. Of, a lot of the guys, and I, I keep saying guys, but I mean guys and girls, uh, I think that you you don't see yourself as the one who needs help. You're the one who's giving the help. Mm-hmm. So I don't think that that's stigma. I don't know how much people really would be upset or or make fun of you if that's what right, you're worried about right, to go right. and get some help. Mm-hmm. It's just the new stigma I think that's become around police officers and uh, first responders in general is just that if you go and get some help and get ordered off of work, I'll, unfortunately, there are people in every industry who mm-hmm. are going to abuse that ability. Mm-hmm. There are people who are faking back injuries all over the world right now to stay home yeah. and get paid. Right. And police officers are no different. There's yeah. still going to be that those few that are not the, the cream of the crop, the few that you right. don't want to work with, the few right. that don't do anything around their place that are going to abuse that. Mm-hmm. And the thing with mental health is you can abuse it. And who the hell, you can't tell, right? You can't see it. It's not mm-hmm. like when I was off with a broken ankle, mm-hmm. right? So I think a lot of guys don't want to be stigmatized as, as that guy who's right. faking. I want to move towards a little bit towards... Um, talking about the PTSD and your coping mechanisms in doing so and what have you learned over the years to kind of maneuver through that because like you said earlier it's not something even like there wasn't even like a a term for it when you're younger and now that uh, there's almost like a label for it do you think that has been because some people when they're diagnosed a label can deter people but for others it can elevate someone did you like, did you, were you officially diagnosed? Is it something that like you've gone through therapy for? If I'm asking too many personal questions, we can just cut this out. <laughs> no, this is quite okay. I mean, since I, I've started to speak about this, I've had, I, I think probably one every couple of days of people that are asking me questions. And it's, so they're just kind of like, they just want to know like, well, what did you do here? So one, I have been diagnosed and I have been treated. Mm-hmm. I didn't take care of it until I left the police service. Okay. Okay. And that's, I mean. Why do you I, think that is? One, I, <laughs> I mean, yeah, the, the self. Uh, one, I, I don't think you really want to accept that there's something wrong with your head. And it's not, again, like a broken ankle where I stepped off the ledge and I snapped my ankle. Yeah. You just kind of like start to notice things like, man, I'm angry a lot. And you don't really notice it until somebody's like, why are you always angry? Or like, <laughs> hey, like you, you don't really talk to anymore. Or you like, you know, you come home and you're. You, you feel pent up. You feel quiet. You don't, you, there's no disconnect. I stopped. I didn't talk to my family as much. I didn't talk to my good, good friends. And I have a real tight group of friends that I've yeah. stuck with that have nothing to do with policing. You start to realize there's a real disconnect there. And then, you know, you come home and you're bothered. You're not sleeping. And, uh, you're, you know, you're having intrusive thoughts, I guess, mm-hmm. and all these different things and, mm-hmm. and nightmares. And like, you know, there are flashbacks, but like, it's not really something I had a, a hard time with maybe just once or twice where, you know, you recognize a situation and you're like, oh, my God, you can feel the anxiety in your chest or you're uh, watching movies. I, oh, I, that's I interesting. Stopped. I don't watch any movies. I remember being on an airplane to Vegas for like a, a great party, a yearly trip that we did with my buddies. And I was watching a movie and a policeman was killed in the movie. And I remember just like 
falling apart. I mean, I was at the scene of one of the murdered police officers and you're just like, man, there's something wrong with me. And and my friends knew it and like, they probably just didn't really want to say anything. So you push it down, push it down. I, what, so coping, dealing with it are two Mm -hmm. different things. So that's, I think what, if anybody listening has any issues and it doesn't have to be PTSD, probably anything. So you can just kind of get by, do what you got to do to get by. And that's what I did. I stopped watching movies. I stopped reading the newspaper. I stopped hanging out with cops. Mm -hmm. I stopped doing a lot of these things. And then I stopped being a police officer, you know, and and it wasn't the only reason. There was a lot of reasons, but I, I really detest going to, I detested going to work at the end. I could feel the second I'd pull out of my driveway that my, my heart, I could feel like the sweat. I know I've talked to some of my friends and they said like, there were there days where you drive into work and not remember. And it's you like, I know everybody blur. does that, but it yeah. was like, you're thinking about what the hell you're, you're in your fight mode. You're not coming out of it. And then, uh, you know, it was been a year and a half and I thought I'd taken away the police department. I'd taken away mm-hmm. the movies. I'd taken away the news. I'd taken away all these things. I barely ever went to Windsor was one of my things. I didn't go to the city. Mm-hmm. And uh, I did all those things and I was still having these feelings. I was still having those thoughts. I was still having trouble sleeping. And my little boy uh, said, dad, you're always yelling at me. And uh, that was it. That was it for me. And uh, I went and I got my treatment. And then, uh, yeah. And that's, yeah, (laughs) I guess. And then when you go get treated, you're worried that people are going to say that I'm not. I was more worried that I didn't have PTSD when I was walking to that doctor's office. Because I'm like, if I don't have it, then what the Then what the fuck else is wrong with me? Yeah. How bad is PTSD if I don't have it? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and then when the doctor said (laughs) within like 10 minutes, which is kind of worrisome. Yeah, you got it. Yeah. Like, you know. Because they know the signs, right? This is what we're going to do. In that process... Were they actually making you walk through your trauma instead of avoiding it, like avoiding going to Windsor, avoiding watching movies, avoiding doing all these things? Did they actually walk you through that stuff instead of like shoving it down? Yes. So I, I don't know that there's not more than one tactic. I can only speak. I don't know. Yep, that absolutely. Much about absolutely. It. I, but I can speak to it's what only from I your did. Experience. I have no problem telling people about it. Mm-hmm. And because it probably make you feel better, I guess. But yeah, the doctor basically puts wants you to get in to those moments. So you pick the one or two worst things that you ever dealt with, the things that bug you the most. Yeah. And you you tell him. Like he wants you to like tell it in the first person, close your eyes, you know, and pretend you're there. And then wanted me to start going to Windsor more. Yeah. Uh, encouraged me to drive through the some of the neighborhoods that I used to work. Damn. Um, you know, things like that. So yeah, yeah it yeah. is. And then it was kind of, I totally didn't expect this. That Obviously, they use technology now, mm-hmm. isn't it? They, I would record those sessions with the doctor, and then he would want me to play them back over and over and over over the course of the week. Wow. Which was like, very shitty at the start. Yeah. And exhausting. I would leave those things exhausted. Mm-hmm. But then, like, all of a sudden, it's like, you're you're like, man, I, I not like the fifth time I'm telling this thing to the doctor, I'm like, right. I'm not nearly as upset. And so, yeah. Well, I think that's something interesting about the stigma around going to therapy is that you go to therapy to get help. And I almost feel like there's the idea that you go there and it's going to be easy. Someone's going to help you. Someone's going to fix you. Someone's going to walk you through everything. But I think what a lot of people don't necessarily realize is that it's actually really fucking hard. There's actually more of a breaking down that happens before that experience. And I think that's where a lot of people walk away. Yeah, the 
my doctor said that uh, most guys don't finish. Most guys and girls. I keep saying guys, but yep. that's just me being old yeah. school, yeah. I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, most guys and girls don't, don't finish, finish the program. And it's really not that long. Like, I mean, eight to 12 weeks for mm -hmm. me. I But I don't know that that's just normal. It's my experience. And yeah, um, you just, for that, you it was two steps back to go one step forward right. or maybe three steps forward to go Five steps back, five steps back, back to go three steps forward. That's where I feel like I am right now. And yeah, the first couple of weeks were they were bad, and I was actually dreading. I would dread going. I was like, it's like almost like having like a big game or a big gym event where you're just like can't sleep. It's all I could think about the night before. Yeah, not even like the, the events that I had seen. It was like the like anxiety of going into that yeah. damn building. Yeah. <laughs> You know, and it looks, this, it's got this, a couch this. in it. I'm like, it actually looks like it does on TV. But I think with everything in life, and I felt like I, I spent so much time in this gym and telling other business owners, like, I got a coach for my business. I got a coach for my own training. Like, mm -hmm. if you want to do something, if you want to lose weight, if you want to get in shape, if you want to succeed in your podcasting business, yep. you need mentors and coaches that have been there and done that and can mm -hmm. help you through it. And I'm telling all these people this, and I'm doing it in so many avenues of my life, but I wasn't with my my stuff inside mm -hmm. and so i went to a guy and it was weird because he was a, the son of a guy that i used to work with so this guy's known me since he was <laughs> you know we talked about how old i am today so <laughs> he's the guy who knew me since he was a kid and yeah now he's sitting on the other side of this couch yeah <laughs> looking at me making me talk and <laughs> just looking at me waiting for me to talk some more so yeah what, what is your best advice for someone who is seeking out going to therapy but hasn't made that step yet just breathe and go like that's it just just take action that's what we i try to tell everybody like mm -hmm. action always beats anxiety move forward move forward make yeah. a decision move forward and if you want to actually be better mm -hmm. feel better somebody or something needs to help you and a lot of unfortunately there's some things for a lot of people is alcohol and drugs and like i mean that's you know i'm not a person who doesn't drink i enjoy a drink but i yeah found myself drinking a lot for the wrong reason. That's another whole other issue. Like, yeah. So solve it. No matter what your stress is, go mm -hmm. and somebody will solve it. And the, honestly, this sounds cold hearted, but nobody cares. Like everybody thinks everybody cares about like, like people care about you. Nobody cares that you're going to a therapist. Yeah. They'll say it and then people are like, oh yeah, yeah. okay. Like, yeah. And then maybe shocked at first, but then they're like, yeah, but I don't really care. Yeah, but cool. cool. You're yeah, doing good right. for yourself. Good, awesome. Fucking awesome. Like, but I feel like that's more recent. I feel like uh, in the last couple of years, going to therapy is something um, is something that's easier to talk about. Like I have tons of friends that go to therapy and I don't even think twice about it. However, I'll, I'll say eight to 10 years ago, that would be something like, oh, she goes to therapy. She must be, there must be something wrong. So I feel like that's kind of a new, again, a new thing that like the stigma is breaking away from, which I think is wonderful. Yeah. But I know that not everyone necessarily i don't think a lot of people understand that like it's okay yeah <laughs> like I people think, keep... uh, your generation of people is bringing a lot of like you guys get ripped on a lot <laughs> right but, but by us older people but you guys have also brought a lot of great things into this where it's in terms of very accepting like you know nobody bats an eye at homosexuality anymore no. nobody really bats an eye at somebody going to get treated for you know your head yep you, you know you go to the doctor like you go to the dentist like yep. you, you go to a psychologist or a therapist like you go to the dentist you, yep. you just take you care do. of it <laughs> and you keep cleaning it yeah you're probably going to be in better shape yeah i want to move into garage gym a little bit all right tell me what you can give me the end end cap of what how did you end up leaving the police force what was that step that moved you into garage gym i know you did the certification at the jim jones um 
Jim Jones, Jim. (laughs) (laughs) You walk me through the process of like how leaving the police force happened and the garage gym started. Where does that like crossover? Yeah, it's a, it's a long convoluted story, but like the (laughs) basics are like, you know, guys who are on that tactical unit and girls and guys all over the province, there's a higher physical standard to be on there. Okay. So it's usually people who are, you know, ex-athletes or people that really enjoy fitness because it kind of, you have to have both yep. to be able to do that job. So I was, I love fitness and I've always had an interest in it. A friend uh, who was a cop took over Jim Jones, which is a massive and known as the most hardcore facility in North America. And he took that over and my wife sent me up there as a surprise just to go visit him. And he happened to be running a seminar that same weekend. So I did the seminar and then I did level two. And then all of a sudden I was like, oh man, there's only 50 certified instructors. And he's like, come on up, let's do number three. You'll be the only one in Canada. And then at that point <laughs> I was using these same workouts and the strategies I'd learned there with our team and started to realize that like, man, guys all of a sudden weren't as tired. And it wasn't even, I don't even think it was like their fitness level obviously came up, but, but guys just like, we were getting along better. We were working out together. You were sweating together. Mm-hmm. The workouts at Jim Jones were very mindset orientated, okay. like breaking through, like, you know, like, this sucks, but keep going, which mm-hmm. is very applicable to the job. And we all, and it's just started to click and I started to love it. Got that certification, started training a couple of uh, referrals, basically just as for fun. They started bringing more people. And the next thing you know, Danny started her certifications and she got her certification. She got her certification at the Jim, at Jim Jones, Jones as well. As well. Right. So would that make her number two? She was in number Canada? two in Canada yeah. at that point. <laughs> We're the only uh, male and female at that point. We've since left Jim Jones, but yeah. like we we did what we did. And Can I pause for a moment? Yeah. What is the Jim Jones certification? Why is it so intense? Like, Can you just walk me through the like, what did that process look like? What did the workout look like? What's the certification look like? So Jim Jones, they, they mix like, they, I mean, they call themselves functional strength, and that's kind of a word that's kind of gone by the wayside since. But basically, it's a mixture of strength and cardio, and they'll call it power endurance. is okay. one of the terms that they use all the time. And it's uh, terrible, terrible, I guess, in terms of like how you feel <laughs> during, but it's very good for you. And the, so the workouts were hard and intense. And they became famous for training all those ripped guys in that movie 300. Okay, okay. And so that's where kind of made them famous i guess and brought a lot of attention to that company mm-hmm. so their certifications was a couple of weekends you had to go all the way to salt lake city to where that place is and okay gym just so you know it's not like jim jones <laughs> but i guess it is a play on the cult so um and they're very mindset oriented so it was like two weekends of very very hard with like some rigorous like testing and standards you had to pass to move on to the next level okay and then their last week their last certification you get your full one is a one week course and it, it i can't even compare it to anything i've ever done other than like a one week selection course for the team where you're like we're working training out like three two to three times a day like Damn. on the day that we didn't do stuff in the gym we climbed a mountain and it was like and <laughs> so when you finish that in between. Like, i mean it was a, it was rigorous but it really set the tone for how we would run this gym yeah with the mindset of just like you know no excuses like right we you all have excuses but you gotta you take gotta action yeah, exactly <laughs> Exactly. So then you brought it back home. You guys started working out yes. in your garage, your, a literal garage. Yeah. <laughs> your literal garage. It started in a, in a one-car garage in the Monopoly subdivision here in Amherstburg mm-hmm. and then moved to a two-and-a-half-car garage a, Like a, as we bought our bigger house as our family started to expand. Mm-hmm. And then it just was like fight club. Like people would actually knock on the door and like, is this the garage gym? And you're like, ah, oh, 
yes, get out of here. Like, you know, <laughs> this is also my home. <laughs> so we had, I mean, you talk about visualization and setting goals and uh, all these people do these great things and you hear about it, but we had actually walked through this building that we're sitting in doing this interview, mm-hmm. Danny and I, and we're just like, wow, this is, this is huge. We can't do this. And then we're like, yeah, we can do this. Let's start making a plan. And okay. almost one year to the day of that walkthrough, we took that business from our garage into this building and we've never looked back and now yeah. we have almost 400 people coming through our two gyms over the course of a day we've expanded three times bought another building expanded that one and now we're really starting to move into online which has been a real cool experience getting ah. our mission out further and we've really built it on not just fitness but like mental strength yeah and we talk about we have fry every friday i come in here and we talk about something whether yep. it's raising your children or like how to overcome obstacles or this or that. And people have really bought into that and not bought in. I mean, it's the truth and mm-hmm. they live it. I like that idea of it's more than just the physical. It's yes. it, there's, you guys are talking to your um, clients about real life stuff. And so I feel like your guys' business is more than just a gym. It's our, our slogan. It's <laughs> is it really? What's your, what's your hashtag? What is it? More than just a gym. Is it really? That's so funny. I did not. I like well, that's amazing, straight up did not even are, know that. We're showing everybody <laughs> that's what we are. And yeah. Everybody has deals with stress and stress is perceived. So like I talk about this all the time, like me going to a murder and somebody else, uh, you know, going to an interview. Like that's, if that's your top level of stress you've yeah. ever experienced and that's your top level of stress. So we're able to lend a lot of perspective with our experience right. as well. My wife, you know, she's, we have two kids. She's a mom. Mm-hmm. She was a cop for 13 years. Mm-hmm. And you know, sometimes people will be in here and they're saying things and it's, you're listening to it and you're like, man, that's what you're stressing over is very trivial. Trivial. Yeah. You really think about it. Mm-hmm. And Danny will say something like, Hey, did you have coffee with a dead body today? Yeah. And they're like, what? <laughs> And they're like, yeah, what you're saying is not so bad. So yeah. just breathe through it and yeah. control what you can and let's you know, take some time for yourself. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's huge. I want to ask a little bit more about um, – because Danny left the f- force, the field, the force before you. Yes. And then you left a year later? Yeah, maybe two years two later. Two years later. Okay. Like but you guys were – you were in the force while um, opening the gym at the same time. Right. And I know that um, you said you'd be willing to talk just – not anything in depth about finances and about what it means to like start a business and have a backing to do so. And I don't think it's something that is talked about often um, when opening any business, let alone a gym, which is a huge undertaking, but even opening a coffee shop across the street, like would you have been able to do and build the gym had you not had spent so many years on the force making the money that you were? No, I'd say no. (laughs) I mean, yes, we could have it. Of course, anybody listening, you can do if you put your mind to it. Yeah. I don't know that it would definitely not have been as seamless. Mm-hmm. And as fast. 100%. <laughs> it would not have been as fast. Okay. As, as long as those days seemed when I was working shift work, running two gyms and having two kids. As long as those days seemed, it didn't seem fast. But it, it I mean, it, we've exploded in five yeah. years. And that's, yeah. that's like the real thing. So Danny and I decided it was... I don't know, just over five years ago that we did not want to do this in terms of being police officers. Mm-hmm. Um, we loved the job, both of us, but what the expectations are of police officers and what that was going to do to our family and just our, our, our health and well-being, we did not see that the $100,000 what we were bringing in each yep. was was worth it. Yeah. And the however, pension. <laughs> however, and the pension and the healthcare and all yep. these things. However... 
we had already been living like we've been made $100,000 for many years. Like, mm-hmm. So we had a house, we had a mortgage, right. we had kids. We, uh, we were used to le- living a certain way and mm-hmm. we don't live luxuriously by any means, but there's certain comforts that come with that. Yep. So we made a plan and the plan was, you know, Danny would step away first. It made sense with, uh, you know, the way she thought of her job, like she was once all about that job. But then once you have kids as a woman, and I think any woman police officer listening here would sit, would agree, things change. Yeah. And so she went off for a year and came back and then went off again with our second mm-hmm. boy. And we said, okay, that's it. Yeah. No, 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 going back. Yep. And she didn't go back. And oddly enough, we didn't really miss the money. And the garage gym at that point wasn't making that much money. Mm-hmm. It just shows how much money you actually in that lux- non-luxurious life I talked about that we just waste. Yep. So we lived off my salary and it was able to fund. It took a lot of pressure off. We were able to make really good decisions for the gym based mm-hmm. on the best of our members without having to worry about money. Right. So we talked about in the, the PTSD stuff, taking a couple steps back to move step forward. Mm-hmm. We were able to do that. So we were able to, we took on the expansion before we needed it. And the the police you know, salary allowed mm-hmm. us to take a loss for right. six, seven months mm-hmm. until we got to where we wanted to be. Yeah. Then we took another step. We bought the building in Kingsville and the police salary gave yep. us the comfort that we didn't have to. We, and one thing it really allowed us to do was to pay our employees. We have the best team here you could ever assemble. Mm-hmm. And we didn't take money out, but we made sure we paid them so that like we have Stephanie, our manager, and Nikki, who's might as well be a manager. They left their jobs. They left their careers to work here for us, which is mm-hmm. incredible to think of. Mm-hmm. And we want to make sure that they were taken care of first. Right. And then as the gym grew, we took on Casey. And again, the police service allowed us. And now here we are. And we were able to buy some uh, real estate like we talked about before, yep. which yep. is like almost like having a pension. Mm-hmm. So there's other ways to have pensions and securities without the ways that your parents said. Right, right. My parents said, <laughs> yeah. Ago, which would be like your grandparents. <laughs> age, no, no. But it's funny that it is. It's so true that you say that like um, it's different from what our parents think or want or whatever and what they grew up experiencing. Because I feel like I'm kind of like in between because I work for a fam- the family business and you listen to a lot of these voices that are like entrepreneurship and you can do it and go, go, go. And I'm like, yeah, that's great. But I feel like it's putting people into debt. And I feel like there needs to be more conversation about like, it's okay to work a full-time or part-time job that allows you to eat and have a roof over your head while like pursuing the thing that maybe will will eventually take over full-time. And it's nice hearing you talk about like having the comfort of having money that allowed you to grow this business into what it is. Right. I don't know how you would do it another way. We would not, I mean, obviously it gets done because yeah. some other people have achieved it. Yeah. I can only speak to what we've done, but we would not have been able to buy the properties to buy our house. Now we have a business. I don't think that I would be able to buy a house with this business and what this business shows as income because mm-hmm. like you don't have the, when the banks do their metrics, it's just not going to work the same, right? right? So right. if you, I, and we're lucky, I was passionate about policing. That's all I ever yeah. wanted to do growing up. Mm-hmm. And then at one point it just stopped being that way. But if you're going to a job that you're not really happy with, but it's funding what makes you happy, whether that be growing a business, traveling. Yeah. You know, I know a lot of people who don't really love their jobs, but their jobs pay for them to go on these awesome trips all the mm-hmm. time and to go to Europe and to go to Thailand and go. Yeah. Well, you're winning. Now. Yeah, exactly. You're winning if yeah. that's what you're doing and it's allowing you to do that. Yeah. And so. I think it's also important to say, like, if that's what you fucking want to do and that makes you happy to just gung ho and quit your job and do your thing, like. I don't ever want to 
be the person that says, you, sh- you know, you should really keep your job and do that. But I also don't want to be the person that's like, just fucking quit your job. It, whatever makes you happy is the most important. And if you're okay thriving in stressful situations where you don't know where your next meal is coming from, but you're a happy camper and you're good, then like, by all means, like do your thing. (laughs) But I like having the conversation and I post often on my social media being like, this is what my day-to-day life looks like. I'm not always out here podcasting, doing yoga, going to the park, traveling. I'm sitting in an office punching numbers most days. 90, 95% of my day is in an office setting that allows me to do that. And I really, I, I want people to showcase more of like what their day-to-day really looks like as opposed to just being like, here's me on the beach. You don't know how that person necessarily got there, but there's so many different routes is I think what I'm getting at. There's so many different routes of, and ways to approach following your passions right? and, and whatever post, makes you happy. <laughs> I recently something similar. I was at the beach working on my laptop, making sure this business is going st- However, what got me to that point is yeah. an exorbitant amount of work mm-hmm. going in, working a whole midnight shift, coming to this place, 6 a.m., right from there, training people till 10, going to bed, waking up to hang out with my kids, Ugh. going back to the police department, often training classes again before I went back to the police department. So there was there That's was a insane. period of probably 12 to 16, 18 months where that was the norm. And do you say you know, six to 18 months? Yeah, probably like, dude, that's insane. Months. And that's, I mean, you, when you're opening it to pay somebody to be here is, was, I mean, we still were paying our mortgage, yeah. but now we're taking a loss in the business. So the police money wasn't, a lot of it was being sucked up to be right. here. So we had, we did what we had to. And people are like, oh, you want to spend, and I am able to spend all kinds of time with my kids, but mm-hmm. I chose that at that point in my life, I would see my kids for some very focused a little amount of time in a day mm-hmm. and i don't remember being a baby so <laughs> yeah. i'm gonna go with they probably won't either and those those that time that i got to see them at that young was mm-hmm. for my benefit mm-hmm. not necessarily for theirs mm-hmm. obviously it's important that you have a family around but then now when they're older and they do remember and we're yeah. building memories yeah i'm there more do you think they'll be in the gym working at the gym oh, these kids are here every day are they yeah, they're part of every, i don't think there's a member here that doesn't know my oh kid. amazing amazing yeah. all right i want to talk to me i'm looking at this 500 club and now i, ha- I just want to ask what it is because it's it, the poster is right behind you and i want to know what the 500 club is uh 500 club is just people that have come and checked into this gym 500 times so Dang. we recognize them for and you know, there's a couple of people up there now that are at 750 and there's some more 500s that we're due to like announce and beat up there nice are those would those be members that like would have started from the very beginning uh, the, from, we didn't start counting until we got here. We had okay. no systems okay. before we got here, <laughs> but we do still have a handful of people yeah. that have been with us since the Monopoly subdivision. Um, one thing that speaks volumes about like what our team does and what these members, these, uh, these original members have brought is that our retention rate is like through the roof. We yeah. have people that have been here for five years. They're at every single event we do. They're at everything we do. And, mm-hmm. and because we do it with them, like they're right. part of it. It's, yeah. They have a role here. They support here. They they help new people feel comfortable. Right. It's like a family. But even like we just, you just met Johnny's a brand new trainer. Mm-hmm. I send out an email to everybody saying, I expect you, the members, mm-hmm. to help Johnny get trained. Aww. Like we need everybody. It's his first time working a job like this. He mm-hmm. has great potential. Let's make them the best trainer together. Yeah. I support you. You support me. Everyone, exactly. every, everyone benefits. Exactly. Can I ask you, what is your favorite part of running the garage gym? Oh, easy. That's easy. Like last night, uh, we had the red carpet for all these people that made transformations in their lives. Okay. 
And I don't think a week goes by here where somebody doesn't say you've changed my life or I'm a better dad or I'm a better mom. I'm a better person. Mm -hmm. And that's, I mean, nothing beats that. Yeah, no, nothing. nothing Especially you, you're a dad. You know that, yes. what that feels like nothing in the <laughs> to world. better yourself. Do you think, just talking about fitness in general, how has the fitness world, aside from police work, but fitness in general, as someone who's uh, been in and out of the gym for several years, but when I am there, I always feel like the best version of myself. Um, but I feel like it's sometimes hard to get to the gym, not for me personally necessarily right now, but for a lot of people making that first step is very hard. And it, it's funny because I went for years off and on to the Vollmer complex in LaSalle, and then I didn't do anything for about a year. And I, when I was deciding to go back to the gym at crunch in LaSalle at the time I lived in LaSalle, I was like, and I had been going to the gym off and on for years, but I was afraid to walk into a new place. And I was, I needed someone who, a friend of mine who also went, she took me at 6 a.m. and showed me around the gym and walked me through everything. How do you guys like welcome new people into this atmosphere that might not, not necessarily feel like they're the gym person? Yeah, and that's the biggest, from a business standpoint, the biggest wall we try to break down. And I mean, the Jim Jones thing and the police thing has really given us a reputation of being hardcore. And I mean, maybe just even my no nonsense and, you know, we don't really stand up. We don't really like, if you don't fit in here in terms of your attitude, we don't want you. We'll stand by that forever. I'd rather cut somebody out mm -hmm. because they're not going to support everybody around here. The only requirements we have are hard work and a positive attitude. That's it. Yeah. And so we try to get that out there and we've started doing some different things where we bring you in one-on-one. -on -one. Okay. And once somebody comes in here one-on-one, -on -one, they walk around, they're like, oh man, I know so-and-so. Like even you, you knew like how many people, <laughs> we were only here for five minutes yeah. and you knew, you know, so many people. So that's kind of it. And, yep. and once you start to hang out with somebody, like mm -hmm. you said, going with a friend is yep. like a great way. Mm -hmm. Find somebody who's supportive and wants to do it and goes with you and it'll make you feel more comfortable. Yeah. And then again, like we talked about before, nobody really cares. <laughs> yeah, no one gives a shit. Like a new person walks in and they're like, oh, hey, look, a new person. Yeah. Nice to meet you. Yep. Want to train with me? Yeah. You've never trained before? Oh, well, who cares? Let's okay. go. Yeah, let's try something and, new. Yeah, and most people here, most people in the world really just want to help you. So if you're yeah. here to help yourself, they're going to help you get better. Yeah. So we wind down to the like the final questions because I want you to talk about Tangle One Solutions. So Tangle One Solutions is kind of... Uh, more of my own little branch off of the garage gym. It's supported by our team here, but it's kind of, I've noticed like some of the guys in particular that I've worked with uh, very closely. We've run a, I ran a survival camp a couple of years ago. Okay. And the survival camp was a little mini version of a hell week that I would have gone through and put people through. Okay. You know, back in my SWAT days. And, uh, but we also rolled in some mindset and some, uh, uh, some, like emotional and like there was way more to it than I think. And because that's mm -hmm. my idea of survival, right? Yeah. You need to have a strong mind, a strong body and mm -hmm. be resilient. Yep. So raising people's confidence and it, it was a hit and I loved it. And so now we're trying to bring that in. So I've been working with a few gentlemen and, and um, you know, I provide them with fitness, yep. nutrition, and then we also work on leadership, uh, relationship building. All the strategies and tactics that I've used to build this gym mm -hmm. to succeed in the police department yeah. to overcome my obstacles and you know to make money those are the same strategies i think they all really like play into each other is that something that you're going to work is more online is it I, i'm not going to use the word retreat because i don't really think it, uh, like um what do you say hell week survival week 
Yeah. Was that here in Windsor? Like here yeah, in Yeah, we actually Ames? did it uh, far away. We went up to okay. Hunt Camp and okay. Perry Sound. But this we've uh, we're looking at a couple sites this week. Okay. So we'll be somewhere in Essex County. And do more of those like the summer upcoming. Type yeah, it'll thing. be in the cool. fall. And uh, we'll have this group of, of guys and girls. Right now it's only a couple of men, but uh, I am actually talking to a woman. And it's the same thing. I'm like like interviewing people. I don't only want to work with a certain person that's going to have that positive mindset and yep. we can work on getting there. But some people, we just won't drive together. So uh, you'll have quarterly meetups. We're going to speak on the phone. We're going to make sure we're going to attack your biggest obstacles mm -hmm. and make action plans. That's basically what we do here is like action yep. beats anxiety. Like we yep. talked about when we move forward, find the problem and fix it yep. immediately. Right. And yep. so that's what we're working on. What is your relationship like with failure? One of the coolest things about fitness is like, if you're doing it right, you should fail all the time. Oh, I like that. And I do. I, I mean, I fail in the gym, like <laughs> probably every other week. If yeah. your goals are high enough, you shouldn't always reach them. Right. So if I set my goals yeah. to a, a standard, a proper standard, yeah. I, it should be hard to achieve. It should be a lot of work. So in the gym, if I miss a few workouts, if I'm not properly focused or mm -hmm. properly sleeping or properly eating. Yeah. There's a good chance I'm going to, when I go to test, I'm going to miss that goal, right? And if I do pass, it's not going to be by flying over it. It's going to be barely. And if I flew over it, that means I didn't set my goal high enough. So I kind of think the same thing with this business. We have some very measurable goals in here mm -hmm. and we set them high. And my team knows that and we all 100% work towards achieving it. Yeah. What is failure like in the police force? Uh, I could say something like failure is final, right? All these like cool. <laughs> but you know uh, what I mean? I feel like that's such a different atmosphere, right? Like is failure an option as a police officer? So failure in the police department, that's very, it, it, it honestly, it is not really an option. There are things that you will fail. Like you'll go to court and you'll do a shitty job testifying mm -hmm. or you'll write a shitty report. You'll do calls and you'll make the wrong decision. Um, but failing i guess ultimately would be you know losing somebody yeah right and so it is really not an option but unfortunately a reality so you learn from those and that's why we when we worked on that unit we're and just in police departments in general i know you debrief everything that you do mm -hmm. and that's kind of something we've really taken to a business and part of the tango one is okay. I, I am working also with a leadership team of a company right now okay and a couple others and that's what we're saying is like you know we debrief everything so even if even if we made out of the call alive my team does a crazy warrant you know we get a couple of guns a couple of guys in custody we still go back and sit down together and mm -hmm. say was their mistakes what could have gone okay. you know and then the mistakes so you know you don't harp on them you just make sure that we're not going to make the same mistake. Right, and just that's acknowledging them. Yeah, yeah. That's moving forward. Yeah. I really, like I was saying earlier, I really commend you for being so generous when I was doing my own charity drive, but you guys run this huge event and it was so successful last year. It raised $125,000. And now I'm looking at the photos behind me and seeing the stuff that you guys do for just families. Walk me through the process of the most recent event and what that feels like to be able to give back to your community. So the most recent event was a, a cancer charity, the Cruise and Bruise. That one, we can't, we organized it here, uh, but I mean, it was the whole fitness, Everyone. small business and the, the small breweries. We, it was one of our points was to just have the small local businesses involved yep. and come together and man, I think it was 10 gyms and 13 breweries. And we all came together in the WFCU and raised $125,000. Um, the charity work has just been 
is something we talk about measurables. It's actually one of the measurables for our team. So everybody here is bought in on it. We mm-hmm. will run two charities this year. Yep. Who we will donate to is 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 becoming a little murkier because yeah. of how successful we've been. Like, right. It sounds bad, but everybody wants I some of that. Ass, of course. And it's very difficult because yeah. like people come here with amazing charities and now I have to almost interview and see how the match is for us to, to jump in. So usually in the spring we'll do a smaller gauge one mm-hmm. and then we'll come back in the fall and do a heavier or we'll do vice versa. Okay. It's very hard. It's taxing on us to do it. Yeah, it's, no, it's of so fun yeah. and such a great rush of yeah. adrenaline. I can't even explain it. Well, and like you were saying, you've jumped out of helicopters, but this ex- that ex- an experience like that is 10 times. <laughs> yeah, the, nothing beats the adrenaline rush of like handing like the picture behind us. It was the lift for Lawson and that family, that little boy, they had some serious issues going on with his health, obviously. And then their house was full of mold and they needed to like, there was just, it oh. was just insane. The amount of things that was going wrong for this family. And it's a local family that and the, the father was a, a workout partner. Mm-hmm. And we called upon the garage gym army here and we were able to raise 40 grand in a day. Yeah. And we did it for the cancer society. We've done it for the special Olympics. And and every single time it's like, that was the best one yet. They come here all the time now. Yeah. Guys. And and it's just (laughs) awesome. Like they just bring so much energy into this place and we're actually a part of them now and they're a part of us. And it just makes this community of people that come to this gym. They're, we don't, we just put the the venue together Mm -hmm. and we put the details together. They're the ones who go out and bring the money. And what's really cool about that cruise and bruise is like, that wasn't like, we're not like, people that go and get these big corporate sponsorships. So really, right. this is like, you know, five, 10, $20 at a time. That's yeah. all coming yeah. in from that's our insane. members, which that is, is like insane. really awesome. And then, you know, so obviously some people are like, oh, well, my uncle has this business and here's a huge generous generation. Right. And it's just like, it's incredible. It's just yeah. There are honestly, as I can totally relate, there is nothing better. My favorite time of the year is when I get to do it, a donation drive of whatever sort it is. There's no better feeling than being able to give back in knowing especially local and i think yes. that's something that is is really important is when you're able to look that family in the face like you know them this isn't handing a check over to again and again that's great too handing a check over to um any a foundation any yeah. foundation but it there's something special about like seeing face to face the people that you're affecting which is crazy yeah the cancer we we one hundred percent of those those dollars raised yeah. stayed here, and uh, we're three hundred fifty grand into this now in charity yeah. drives, and not one dollars left Essex yeah. County, and that's the way we will remain. Yeah, There's is there no another one there. next year? Yeah, we're trying to line something up for this okay. spring, but it's. Uh, I just want everyone to pay tough. attention so that they can donate. <laughs> have a meeting uh, actually tomorrow, or I think for uh, to talk about one. Awesome! I we'll came see. into the game late, not knowing about this, so I will surely be pushing it on Lemon Soul for you. Awesome. <laughs> Thank bring you. as many donations in as <laughs> Thank possible. You. All right, last question. If your life was a photograph, what would it look like? Man, that's a that's a very loaded question. But <laughs> I think uh, my life was a photograph. I would just want it to be just surrounded like in a big group of people that are working hard. So like any of these pictures you see on the walls around mm-hmm. us, mm-hmm. that's what my picture. Hell for yeah. sure. We did it. Yes. We're done. That's Thanks it. for having me. Huge thanks to Tony for sitting down with me today and being oh so vulnerable. Um, it really means a lot that I get to be able to sit down and have these deep conversations with the badass human beings of our community. Please go check Tony out. His Instagram handle is tango1 underscore Tony. Please check out two, both of his websites. One is thegaragegym.net and the other is tango1.ca. 
support your local community and keep an eye out for his charity drives coming up in the next year. And until next time, have a fucking great day. Mm-hmm.